Well, good morning. Good morning. Your Bible is open to Ephesians chapter 4. The last several weeks, we have uh, used this uh, passage of Scripture to kind of launch us into summer, into really our second year here as a church family. Uh, back in the beginning of this month, we celebrated our one-year anniversary, and, and I was like, Lord, where, where, where are we? What, what, where are we going to be in the summer? What do you want to do? And we really camped in here as a church family, kind of laying foundation, kind of, you know, we went, we moved here with about 50 or 60 as a core, and now... By golly, praise the Lord, we're about 150 as a core. And we're still kind of getting to know one another, still trying to figure out what it is, how, what is church, and, and how is this supposed to work. And, and I think through the summer, the Lord's really going to just help us to be united in what we're about here. What is this thing called church? What am I supposed to do? What am I supposed to do about this, right? What is my role? What is my role? I, I, I've been sharing the last couple weeks, right? This morning, when you when you were thinking about coming to church, what was your thought? What was your thought? Lord, today, I hope I get a good sermon. I hope I get good music. I hope my kids get a good time in children's. I hope I get a good donut. I hope I get some coffee. Was, was, was it primarily about getting today? Or have you intentionally thought through what we've been talking about the past few Sundays? Did you wake up and say, Lord, I want to give today? I want to be a giver, not just a big a getter. I want to give love. I want to give encouragement. I want to give a handshake. I want to give a smile. I want to give a prayer to someone, right? And how radically that can transform your experience on a Sunday morning. Because the crazy thing is, how many of you have ever focused on being a giver and you've, you've received Amen. tenfold blessings, Amen. right? Isn't that crazy? Lord, I want to be a giver this, this morning. I want to give someone... And then all of a sudden you get blessed. All of a sudden the Lord uses you in someone's life and, and maybe a day or two later they send you a text and you know, say, hey, you know, thanks for listening. Hey, thanks for praying. That really mattered. And you're like, wow. Wow, I just did that because that was on my heart. I wasn't expecting anything in return, right? And so we're working through this. What is church? What is my role? Uh, you know, this, this we that we're talking about. What does it mean to be a part of a we and, and, and like, why don't we just move on? This is like elementary. This is basic, right? A lot of us, if you're not careful, you'll check out and say, oh, this is kind of basic. Why are we camping here for so long? The reason we're camping here for so long is that this idea of church, what it is and my role and your assumptions about my role and everyone up here, right? That whole laity, clergy separation and, and church is a place we go to and then a church place we leave. Those ideas... Those beliefs are probably more deeply ingrained in you than you even realize. Just is. Because that's part of the culture we live in. Our culture is very private, very independent, very self-sufficient, very much on my terms when it's convenient for me, right? And so this idea of, well, no, you're, you're in the church and every part has a role to play in the church... You might be resisting that, and it may not thrill you. And you may be wondering why. Well, it may just be things that you've picked up. And, and how many of you, I've, I've asked before, how many of you in school really weren't thrilled with small group or group projects in class? You wanted to do it rather yourself. Right? It's just easier, less stress, 
No one mooching off your hard work, right? Small groups, ah, oh, group project, ah. Oh. How many of you were just took the lead and just did it for the group? Because just easier, right? We grow up with this sort of self-sufficient, independent attitude, and, and we bring that into the church, and then the church, well, don't we pay you guys to do that, and, and isn't that your job? And, and suddenly, it's weird because pastorally, if we're not careful, we buy into that, and suddenly we're, we're sharing needs of the church and opportunities to serve, but we just feel like a telemarketer or a used car salesman around here. Hey, have I got a plan for you? <laughs> At your convenience, or minimal time required, right? And suddenly, suddenly, instead of the joy of serving together, pastorally and ministry leaders, we walk into a room and everyone scatters. <laughs> oh, don't here to ask you to do something, right? Right, Mark? I asked Mark to do something this morning. And then he comes up to me and goes, You're really good at that. <laughs> You're really good at like asking me to do things and, and I feel good about it. <laughs> wink wink, right? But if it's if we if we don't embrace this we and, and, a, and a biblical understanding of church, of unity, of fellowship, then it becomes this. And then it becomes a small collective up here, a small group, trying to get everybody. To do something. Right? And then there's always an announcement to serve. Always an announcement to give. Always, always, always. And it's just this weird dynamic that happens is we're trying to convince you. How many of you as a, as a parent try to convince your kid that what you're trying to feed them is really good for them? <laughs> right? Vegetables. Medicine. Right? <laughs> right? And so it's, it's funny because sometimes we feel like that as pastors. Oh, really? <laughs> Marco used to drum in his other church, really? Well, you know, gosh, Bill is gone all summer, Marco. Open your mouth. Right? And it's the weirdest thing. It's like, and I get that, though, because before I was in ministry, I used to attend church. So I, I get it, right? And it's already big enough commitment that we get there every Sunday. Okay, Tuesdays. Sunday, Tuesday, that's it. Okay, and we give. The trifecta. Sunday, midweek service, and we give. Good to go. Right? And we're not careful. We get this, this idea, and it becomes sort of like, like us and you, and we're trying to convince you, and we're going to, you know. And it's just this weird vibe that can happen in churches. If we just honestly lose sight of what the creator of the church says we're supposed to be doing. Amen? This is really about what we're looking at is biblical unity, biblical fellowship, biblical um, responsibilities in the church. So it's not really about me trying to convince you. I'm just here to teach you this. Because it applies to me too. It applies to me too. Sometimes you guys wonder, you know, and I've heard this before, and this isn't about me, but sometimes you wonder if you stay here long enough, because some of you love to stay here, which is great, till 1.30, <laughs> 2 o'clock. Long enough for us to open the fridge and raid the fridge for the second lunch. You know, that's it's all good. But sometimes we're here, and as part of the leadership team, we understand we're part of the church. So sometimes I'll get a vacuum. A lot of times I'll just get a vacuum, and I'm just vacuuming, and they're like, why is the senior pastor vacuuming? 
well, at a certain point, I'm not the senior pastor. I'm just a member of the church. And I care about the facility, so if there's stuff that needs to be vacuumed, we just vacuum. That's just what we do. Right? So it's not about titles. It's not about anything around here being beneath anyone. We're just the church. Amen? Amen. And yet, whew, we say that, and we just said, many of you said amen to that. But man, immediately if something comes up and there's a need, and you get a text, you get a call, and it's inconvenienced, you're like, oh, this is tough. This is tough, right? Ephesians 4, 1 through 6 says, As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. We saw in verse 3, make every effort to keep the unity of the bond of peace. If we're going to be unified, right, positionally, you put your faith in Jesus, you're put into the church, universal, and the Apostle Paul is saying, hey, church, now you have to make every effort to keep that unity because the church is filled with imperfect, selfish, self-centered people. And it takes a really a supernatural work of God to keep us unified because that fast, it can just turn into the flesh. That fast, right? James 4, 1. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? James 3, 16. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and evil practice. So it's amazing. We can sit here, we can worship, we can open the word together, and something can happen. When we say amen, and Mark comes up and says you're dismissed, something can happen. Because we're all humans, there's a lot of human beings in this place. From the time we say amen and say, that was a great service, to the time you leave in your car, something can happen in here. And someone can step on your toes, someone can say something, someone can take your donut. And just like that, we slide into the flesh. And just like that, we're like, oh, can you believe that? I can't believe they did that. I can't believe they said that. Oh, they were rude. Oh, they were. And suddenly, after... An hour plus about unified worship and the word, one thing can just set us off. And that's why he says, make every effort to keep the unity. It takes hard work. It's it's the second law of thermodynamics. If we just let it be without any diligent effort to the unity, it's just gonna. It's the second law of thermodynamics. Then go, things go from order to disorder. Anyone's room at home right now in disorder? Right? Second law of thermodynamics. You have to make every effort to keep your room clean, right? It's just weird. Right? So it's the same thing. I love that analogy because if we just say, oh yeah, if we define unity only in terms of assenting to a creed, or unity only in assenting to a statement of faith, you missed it. You think, oh yeah, we're united because we all believe the same thing. Sort of. That's sort of the beginning. That's just the beginning. But to be united takes effort. Means going to a men's barbecue. Means going to the Natural History Museum. Means whatever, because unity comes out of relationship. Amen? Amen. You can't really be united with someone unless you really know them. Sure. Mike, I've gotten to know Mike and Sherry, like, beyond just like, oh, we like coming here. You know, there's that initial. But we've gotten to know each other. Share your story. 
And in the relationship building, the unity builds. The trust is built. The genuine care and concern is built. That's really what it means to be unified, right? And so we're here, we're camping here, because this, this goes against the grain of our culture. Goes against the grain of our culture. Many of us are independent spirits. We got a full schedule. I'm guessing many of you have already thought through what you're doing when you leave here. Right? You got lunch plans, you got errands to run, you're gonna go see so-and-so, you're whatever, some of you have to go to work. Right? So we're gonna scatter. And if we're not careful, this idea of unity just, just is lost that fast. As soon as we say amen, God bless you, have a good week. Right? It can get lost. In Acts 2.42, the early church says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. So we saw last week this word fellowship is koinonia. Koinonia. And they devoted, they devoted themselves to koinonia. Right? Fellowship in the church is more than coffee and donuts and potlucks and field trips. That's an element. That's just the social part of church. True koinonia means that we understand at the core of our being that if you're a believer in Christ, there's a commonality that we all share. And out of that commonality comes how we treat each other. Right? So what are some of our, our commonalities, right? If you're a believer in Jesus, there's a common father. Romans 8.15 For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. What do we have in common? Abba, Father. Right? What else do we have in common? John 1.12.13 Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, nor of husband's will, but born of God. What else do we have in common? We're brothers and sisters in Christ. You know, sometimes people throw that around flipping. They hey, bro. You know, we, we say that a lot around here a lot. Hey, brother. That's not cliche. It's not flipping. Biblically, we, just, we really are. For how long? For how long? You're siblings. We have, we're, that's our father. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. For how long? Well, turn to the person next to you and say, <laughs> forever this is a forever thing not a once a week not a once a week or twice a week this is a forever thing <sighs> radical some of you are like Whoa. What do I, how do I wrap my mind right this is, this is already embracing this commonality because we tend to go to church we'll embrace commonalities for an hour and a half and then we want to go back and we want to go back to our house. We want to go back to our private property. We want to go back to our private lives. When you really spend time looking at what we have in common, suddenly, little by little, it'll broaden your, broaden your heart, open your mind. What else do we have in common? An adversary. First Peter 5 8. Be alert and a sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Newsflash the person next to you is not the enemy, there is a real enemy. Now, the person next to you may drive you crazy. The person next to you may, may upset you, may get you angry. But they are not the real enemy. Amen? Yeah. you got to remember that. We have a common enemy. And here's the thing. Here's what that common enemy likes to do. Into the church. 
And he likes to take our focus off of him being the enemy to us. Let me just stir it up. Let me just, let me just step on some toes. Let me just create some gossip. Let me just throw some rumor out there. And after a while, he didn't have to do anything. He just set it all in motion. Because we thought that we're the enemy. We're not. There's a real enemy. And perspective, the real enemy wants nothing more to than destroy you. Destroy your marriage, destroy your kids, and laugh and celebrate your destruction. That's the truth. That is the real truth. That's the sobering truth. Is that there is an enemy, the devil, that wants nothing more to destroy you, destroy this church, and will laugh and mock and celebrate all the way down. That's the real enemy. That's the sovereign truth. Okay? <clears throat> Temptations. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, He will also provide a way out so you can endure. You share common temptations. Common trial, well, trials. John 16, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. See, why is this important? Well, if I take the heart that I have common temptations, and if I take the heart that I have common trials, maybe that will help me to honestly just open up in a men's group, in a women's group, and share what's really going on. I don't know where this, this idea, and I really do, it's pride and it's fear. I get that fear of man, fear of rejection. When it comes time to share your life in these small groups, when the truth is we all share the same struggles. Amen? We all have the same common temptations. We all have the same stuff of life. And when you share something in your small group, there's probably one or more that are in there going, Me too. Me too. I just didn't have the guts to say it. Okay? And finally, what do we share? Persecution. Remember what I told you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. Another commonality is persecution. Now, it's not as bad right now in this culture as others today. Right? But it's, it's, it's getting there. The writing's on the wall. And this shared common persecution, whether it's in the media, whether whatever's going to happen, even in Ojai, there's a commonality in persecution which reminds us, yeah, we do stand out. Yeah, there are people in this valley that honestly think we and I are cray-cray for being here this morning. Are you serious? You guys believe that this is the Word of God? You believe in absolute truth? You believe Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life? No one comes to the Father except through Him? You believe you're saved by grace through faith, not by works? And if you say yes, yes, yes to that, understand, even in this valley, there are people right now that don't like you and think you're crazy. That's just the truth. Now that's the truth that I live because my, I have a title and it's out there, so I kind of deal with that every day. And I have processed that. But it's no different. That's something which are common. I just got to tell you that. Welcome to my world. There is no us. Welcome to my world. Those few elements of uh, values and core beliefs that you affirm, welcome to my world then. I just kind of am called by God to be this loudmouth spokesperson, and so I, I bear the brunt of, of what that means publicly. Doesn't mean that the persecution I feel doesn't apply to you. Right? So I really understand sometimes, as a pastor in the church for like 28 years, all the way from back in San Diego through here, 
when I reflected on these this, this week, I'm like, you know what? I hope as a church, as we move forward in the year two here, we really start to understand and embrace the true commonalities we have. And, and that, this, that helps us to really bridge and, and really overcome this individual, individualism, this privatization. Even in the church, it, the church somewhere picked up the privatization of my relationship with Jesus. How many have ever heard Christianity is a relationship, not a religion? Anyone? Right? Very common. The problem with that, if you're not careful, is that you privatize that. It's my relationship. It's my quiet time. It's my reading. It's my, it's my, and we privatize kind of the culture we live in, right? Private property, right? Acquire. And so we bring this privatization into the church. And then the pastor's up there talking about this and, and this whole we thing. Sounds good on paper, but is it really? Why am I struggling? Well, because maybe you privatized your faith. Maybe it became a private thing, right? And, and, and this, this, you're, you need really the Lord to work on you. Mark, can I, can I ask you a quick question? I want to give you an example. This will really help me. If, if you go in there, there's, there's four fours right down there. Several years ago, in the door. Open the door. <laughs> Look down. Right there, click down. Right there. Oh, yeah. He doesn't know about that. He's like, okay. So, Mark, you take one. So let's say, let's say I say, hey, I want to go rafting. And I say, Mark, we need some more. We need some females on the church, so. Lois, you want to go rafting with us? Alright, so, come on. So you guys say, hey, we're going light rail rafting. Come up. Come join us. We're going to the Kern River. So they show up, right? <laughs> so here's the thing. They show up at the Kern River and say, hey, we're going to go down the Kern River. Let's say, and these aren't the right, the right paddles, of course, but let's say they all show up with their own kayaks. They're all individual kayakers. How many of you have seen individual kayakers? Like, right? Pretty sweet. So it's like, okay, let's go, right? And they all show up with their kayaks, and I have my kayak, and we just go down five of us, individually going down the river in our own individual kayaks. There would be a sense of camaraderie, right? We would enjoy being together. There would be togetherness, right? And yet, when it was over, during it, we're all in our individual watercraft, right? Now, flip that. About 25 years ago, I brought some kids whitewater rafting at the Kern River. So, on our day to go to the river, we, we were split up into groups. And instead of everyone having their own watercraft, they were put in, we were put in boats. We were put in boats. Right here. Right? We were put in one boat. Right? And these boats had a guide. Right? And if we were going to survive this trip, we all had to be in tune with the guide. And he would give us directions. He would say forward paddle, which meant everyone would forward paddle. So forward paddle. Right? Right? And he would say, stop. And he would train us. He said, okay, I'm going to give you commands. First we did this on the shore, and then we were, we were going to do this. Then he would say, backward paddle. Okay? Right? Stop. Then he would say, right paddle, which meant only the right side would paddle. Right paddle. Stop. Left paddle. Stop. Right? 
And then at a certain point, he would say, if I yell big, that means all of you stroke as hard as you can until I say stop. Big! Stop! Okay. Right? So, here we go. So we got him, and it's calm. It's like forward paddle. And we're coasting, we're like, stop. And we're going down the river. If you've been white water rafting, suddenly you hear something. And some of these rapids were pretty big. We went into the class fours. So we, we get to this, and he's like, okay, this is a class four. What we're going to do is we're going to park on the, on the, before we go down, we're going to fold to the, the side, and he's going to look, and he's going to tell us what we're going to do. We're going to go to that walk, we're going to bounce backwards, and we're going to do this, and we're going to do this, and we're going to make it through. Right? Okay! Right? So he says, okay, you guys ready? Right? So we have to get off the, off the shoreline. So back paddle. Stop. And we get lined up. And we start to go forward paddle. Stop. Right paddle. And it starts to pick up. Stop. Left paddle. Stop. Forward paddle. Backward paddle.
And the guys, you know, there's one word called scooch. If you've ever done it, scooch is when you do this because you're stuck on a rock and you're trying to scooch your boat off this rock. And the guy's yelling at these kids, scooch, scooch. And it's so funny, all you see is him and four little heads like this. <laughs> they were overcome with fear, anxiety, lack of confidence in that boat. It was just, a, if we were having fun, they were surviving. They got off that, and I remember looking at their faces, and they were like, help me. <laughs> right? It was a matter of their focus. It's a matter of the focus. And in the church, it's sometimes just an issue of our focus. Where's your focus? On me, on the Lord, on me. Right? And really quick, if you look at Hebrews 10, Hebrews 10, verse 19, if you go to your Bible there, it's going to come up on the screen. Hebrews 10, Verses 19 to 23, I love this passage. It says this, Therefore, brothers, Hebrews 10, 19, Since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, open for us through the curtain, that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience, and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. I love that because that, that's a, that, I, love, I resonate. That's a personal passage. Hey, you individual believers, those are some incredible things to do, right? It's all about private relationship, personal relationship. Nothing wrong with that. He's celebrating our privileges, personally, individually. But he doesn't stop there. And this is really important. Look at verse 24. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing. But let us encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. Here's, here's, here's a transition, don't miss this. 19 to 23, absolute beautiful celebration of the privileges we have individually. Suddenly verse 24 becomes about we. And there's three we's in there that, that, that my prayer for us as we move forward would be foundation laying, right? Look in verse, we'll start in verse 25. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. First application, first we, you got to make a priority to be with the church, with the gatherings of the church. Sure, Sundays are a part of that, but it could be other gatherings. Apparently, some are in the habit of just doing their own thing. Isolation. Individual. Right? So if we're going to understand biblical unity, if we're going to understand true koinonia, number one, verse 25, let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. Some versions say forsaking. It's a pretty powerful word. It actually means to abandon, to desert when you should be helping. Right? So this idea that, well, do I feel like going to church? Do I feel like being around other believers? Do I feel like it? Is it convenient? That's not, that's not biblical. Verse 25 says, let us not give up meeting together. You got, how can we love one another if you're not even here? See, if we're going to make every effort to be unified, if we're going to devote ourselves to fellowship, priority number one is what? Show up. You gotta be there. 
There's 50 plus one another's. And then over the summer, we're going to look at these one another's. Here's the thing. If we're going to one another, one another, what do you have to do? Beer. Not just here on Sundays. That's a part of it. Somewhere along the line, this is where it gets real, right? This is that, you know, we amen a few minutes ago. We amen this we, we, we. But suddenly, when you drive the stake in the ground and you're challenged to reprioritize, move your schedule around, Tuesday night, men's group, women's group, whatever, then suddenly it just got real, didn't it? Suddenly it's like... So verse 25, let us not give up meeting together. Got to drive the stake in the ground. Got to make it a priority. If we're going to be the church, we have to be together. Right? Verse 24, let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. What's the second thing we can do? That word consider? Very powerful word. It means to think carefully about. To think carefully about. So what is it saying here? Hey, number one, show up. Make it a priority to be gathering as a church. Number two, when it says consider, it means this. Think about Observe carefully, spend time pondering the spiritual welfare of your brothers and sisters in Christ. When was the last time you and I actually spent time pondering, thinking about the spiritual welfare of another believer? And I'll even bring it home. How about your spouse? How about your kids? How about your best friend? When was the last time you actually said, Lord, show me where so-and-so is with you. Show me what their spiritual needs are. Show me how I can do something to spur them on to love and good deeds. When was the last time you spent time just thinking about considering the spiritual state of somebody else? And I want to bring this home as a former youth pastor and as a pastor. Begin at home. When was the last time you carefully, you spent time pondering the spiritual state of your spouse? And what, what, what you could do or what would be necessary and helpful for them to grow spiritually. When was the last time you just thought about where they are? And then each child. When was the last time you said, where is so-and-so with the Lord. Where are they? See, this is, this, is, this is where it gets real again because if you're a family and you come to church, well, we go to church. And you can kind of just blow it off. This need to shepherd each child and to know where they are, not just biologically, not just how they're growing physically, but spiritually, to know where they are. And I know it's a big effort. I had five of them. And I got one out of the house and three in college. And how many of you parents know it doesn't stop when they graduate from high school? You still are concerned about their spiritual well-being. You're still considering them. And that word spur, so I think about, I think about my kid, think about where is she, what does she need, and then I have to spur, which means stimulate, which means it's a, it's a pretty powerful word. Incite to riot. Lovingly irritate. <laughs> We are to consider each other's spiritual well-being. So I said, okay, Mark, Lord, show me Mark. And then I'm to think about how I can lovingly irritate him. <laughs> <laughs> to love and good deeds. 
a brother in the Lord. Not play the Holy Spirit. Not come and, and be naggy nanny. But to say, Mark, how can I help you to walk with Jesus? How can I love you and irritate you? Right? That's what it is. So number one, you make a commitment to just be here, to just show up, drive that state in the ground. And then when you show up, you start considering the spiritual state and well-being of others around you. Even the people right in front of you right now that you don't even know. Your brothers and sisters in Christ. Amen? You're stuck with for how long? Forever. Right? Remember, he's speaking to Christians as a whole here, not to me. Oh, that's your job. You're supposed to know the spiritual state of us 150. And you're supposed to lovingly irritate 150 of us. Well, I do that for 40 minutes every Sunday. But when we leave here, it's the job of the church to be considering one another's spiritual well-being and to be spurring each other lovingly irritating. Right? That's what it is. How many of you have ever been in a car where the driver has been falling asleep? Anyone? And you were like, mmm, mmm. And you're watching them, right? And mmm. Anyway. What do you do after a certain point? What do you do? Hey! Right? Here's the word picture, guys. Some of the people around you right now, spiritually, They've been at church, they know the routine, they know my style, they know the songs. Some of you may need to do a... Hey! Ernie! Hey, Ernie! I'm awake. I'm awake. Right? Spiritually, we're called to... Hey! Out of love. You see someone spiritually drifting, best thing you can do is a hey, wake up moment. Amen? Okay, so number one, you gotta try to stay in the ground. You gotta be with the church. Number two, you gotta consider. Consider one another. Start with start at home. If you journal, if you have a quiet time, there's a there's a there's a great there's a great assignment for you. Lord, in my quiet time this week, show me where my wife is. Show me where my husband is. Show me where my kids are. What do I need to do to spur them on in, with Jesus? Start there. That'll, that'll fill your plate pretty darn quick. And then branch out <laughs> if you have time. Crazy, right? And then number three, let us encourage one another. First Thessalonians 5.11 Therefore encourage one another and build each other up just as in fact you are doing. Right? Encourage is continual habitual. What can you do on a Sunday? Encourage What's the word picture? For encourage is to come alongside. Ever been roller skating? Ever tried to right, come alongside? Right? For your that roller skating era. How many of you have ever tried to help your little one roller skate and they weren't even touching the ground? <laughs> oh, this is so fun. Yeah, you're not even touching the ground, right? Encouraging is to come alongside. How many of you ever taught your child how to ride a bike by running right there? You got it. Right? You're right alongside, encouraging. You're right there with them. That's what it does to encourage one another, is to come alongside. It's not to browbeat. It's not to Bible bash. It's not to play your Holy Spirit. It's to come alongside. It's to come alongside. Three things. Three things we can do as we move forward as a church this big. Commit to being here. 
Make it a priority to, to gather with the church. Make it a priority. It doesn't always have to be an official thing. I love what happens here Friday mornings. There's a pocket of young moms and young kids that meet out here 10 o'clock Friday mornings. It's a beautiful thing. So many kids are here that the neighbors thought we opened the daycare, preschool. <laughs> That's awesome. But why are they here? To consider and encourage. That's what they're doing here. Sharing life. Just sharing life. It doesn't always have to be a Bible study. It doesn't always have to be a program of the well. Just sharing life. Prioritize being with the church. Make it a point to consider one another. Spiritual state and what you can do to lovingly irritate them forward. Number three, be an encourager. And that's what that's the great part about technology these days. Send a text. Send a text with nothing expected in return. Hey, I was just thinking of you today. Just want you to know I'm praying for you. Love you. That simple. How many of you have ever received one of those? Just a word of encouragement. How did it make you feel? Awesome, right? You can do that. You can do that every day. Lord, every day I'm going to send an encouraging text to somebody with nothing expected in return. That's the key. Don't wait to get something back. Well, I'm not encouraging them anymore. They didn't, they didn't respond. <laughs> you hit send and you don't care because you did it out of love. Hey, just thinking about you. Hope you're having a good week. Bonk. Hey, I heard you're going through something. Just want to know I'm praying for you. Bonk. Be an encouraging. And the radical thing is, you can do that before you leave here. You can encourage someone here, even if you don't know. That's when the church, church comes to life. When we all are unified in our commitment to be here. We're all unified in considering each other's spiritual well-being and, and spurring each other on. When we're all unified in being encouragers, there is life. Amen. That is what the body is designed to do. Grow together. Love together. Right? I love this quote. We'll end with this. Andy Stanley. The primary activity of the church was one anothering. One another. The primary activity of the church was one anothering. One another. And what's our example? What's the ultimate example of love? Jesus. First John 4 7 says this. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Is one another, one anothering one another difficult? Oh yeah. I would probably say impossible in the flesh. Loving, forgiving, bearing with each other. Oh, my goodness. It requires a supernatural work. Amen? Amen. It's the Holy Spirit. But it also reminds us and takes us back to, wait, 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 Lord. Everything you're asking me to do for one another, you did for me. you got to come all the way back. You did it for you. And what he's really saying is, in the same way that I loved you, when you were at your worst, all the grace, all the patience, Everything I extended to you in sending Jesus when you were just at your worst. Now I just want you to do that to others. In the power of the Spirit. Just do that. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you.
Thank you that you show us how we're supposed to be the church, what it means to truly be united, and what it means to have true fellowship, koinonia. That the church isn't just a spectator sport, it isn't just something to go to. We are the church, and this morning you've spoken very clearly that there's three things we can do, three practical real-life decisions we can make. Be here, consider one another, be encouragers. And yet we recognize that without you, it's impossible. We can't do that on our own. So, Lord, help us. We yield and we, 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 we acknowledge we can't do this alone. We need you. We need you. And Lord, prayers for those this morning who are here and have never received your grace. Maybe they understand church more clearly. Maybe even this morning they understand your love for them more clearly. And I pray if you're here this morning and you've never received Jesus, never received the grace of God, you, you never understood how much you were loved by him, then this morning I pray you would receive his love. The Bible says we're saved by grace, unmerited favor, not by works. So if you're here this morning and you'd like to receive the gift of salvation, just simply, the best way you know how, put your faith in Jesus. Just say, Jesus, in the best way I know how, I'm trusting you. As my Savior and Lord, I believe you died and rose again. I know I can't earn my way to heaven, so I'm resting, Jesus, in your finished work. Thank you for what you did for me and dying for me. And if you are here and you're part of the church, maybe there's areas where you need to just confess. Maybe selfishness, maybe privatization of your faith, maybe this struggle with we. It's more about me than we. Maybe you're struggling with that. Just be honest with God this morning. Say, God, I confess that my church experience has really been more about me than we. Please forgive me. Help me to make the decisions I need to make with my schedule, my priorities. Help me to spend time considering my family members, my friends. Help me to be an encourager, Lord. Really, Lord, in me, help me to take my eyes off of me and to love self-sacrificially. And as we prepare for communion this morning, we come forward as believers to remember Jesus. I'll take the bread and the cup, and you can come forward, take the bread and the cup, and we'll take communion together as a church family once everyone's been served. If you put your faith in Jesus this morning, we invite you to take communion as well. But also as you come forward, I pray you would take a few moments and look around, even if you're in line, and celebrate the great we called the church. And that we have great privilege to pour into one another's life and be a testimony to, to the Lord as we love one another as he loved us. So you can come forward to the communion tables in remembrance of Jesus in recognition that we are part of a greater we called the church.